So we must have faith reinforced by the thought system because the thought system is usually about me. Yeah, It's about me in the past and it's about me in the future. So let's say there is no me right now. So what's the second best thing the mental process can do? It can remember me. Yeah, And if I'm sort of out to lunch, then I'll take the remembrance of me as me. Yeah, If the mind's not, is sort of lazy or let's say it's been uh, deceived in some way, then it will fall for the idea that the thought system presents, that everything I'm thinking, everything is me about me, and that me, yeah? So you get that sense. But that that sense is remembered, yeah? So you, as an, as an action figure, because that's how the mental process, the thought system pre- uh, presents you, it holds you as a body. So when it thinks about you, if, when it thinks about you in the past, how does it think about you as a body? That's how it remembers you, right? If you would go back five years from now and remember something, I bet you you'd probably be in the memory somehow, you know? You'd be in there. Maybe like Waldo in those pictures, you know? You'd still be in there somewhere, this idea of being Paul. And then when you're, when the thoughts are about you in the future, you're seen as a body also, and you're remembering yourself by thinking about the future. Remembering is not just in the past, you remember yourself through thinking about the future. So, when you're worried about you in the future, yeah, the thoughts wouldn't go there truly if there wouldn't be enough oomph to grab your attention with those thoughts if there wasn't a you like the weather vane, yeah? Because the mind's obsessed with the idea of being an action figure. Yeah, it is. It's fallen for this little sense of love, of specialness, or like in Buddhism they call it, it's a cherishing of self. Yeah? The mind is cherishing the idea of being a self. So, so you and I are being remembered. And if the memory, if, if your attention and interest wasn't so addicted going to the past and the future, what would happen is it would be quite aware of now and you're not here. As an, you're not here as a mental projection. Yeah? The being, the subjectivity, the onness, the awareness, whatever you want to call it is here, and it's only always here. It's never there and then. That's the mental projection of an action figure, yeah? See, you can't think, see, you can think about you, but you can't think about being, yeah? You can think about you. The being is here, now. That's what, this is it. This is all there is. Yeah? The mental process can only picture you there and then. By remembering you there and then, it projects a sense of being you here. Yeah? So you claim the here-ness of being, and now you become the doer, you become the haver, you become the mover and shaker, you become the one who has volition and choice, you're the one who has karmic retribution, and you've, you've retain some energy from past choices and past actions you truly believed you did or someone else did to you. So this whole idea is constantly verified and rooted and reinforced by our addiction to the system of thought called self-centeredness. So self perpetuates self. That's what it does. So when you're thinking about self, there's a feeling of self. Yeah. So this isn't about getting good thoughts or bad thoughts. I could care less about any of that. It's about realizing, let's look at the first thought, that you're the thinker. Question that. Yeah? Now, if I can't even take a shit when I want to, I can't 
digest my food. I haven't been given much power whatsoever in this life. There's only one process of the body that's half voluntary and half involuntary. Everything else is involuntary, and that's breathing. That's the only place to where, quote-unquote, you have any seeming say. <laughs> Everything else is just running involuntarily. <laughs> Maybe there's a lot more that's running involuntarily. Maybe the idea of selfing is running involuntarily. Maybe it's just a mental process like the nervous system has a nervous system process and the digestion system has a digestive process, yeah? Now the mental system has a mental process called selfing. Yeah? It's the same as all the others. But the, in a sense, it, the difference is that there's a, you can fall for the idea that you're a self, yeah? Just like you, it's very funny, you very rarely would fall for the idea that you're the digester of your food, that you're sitting there, you know, going home and digesting. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think I'm going to go home and digest for a while. I'm going on a digesting retreat this weekend, yeah? I'm going to sit and digest, and we're all going to digest, and, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and then after that, I'm going to go to the nervous retreat, and we're just going to generate nervous impulses and, you know, twitches, and we'll have all these demonstrations of being in control of our nervous system. And then, okay, after that, we'll go to the heart system, and we'll all go beat, and we'll see how fast and slow we get. <laughs> Check this out. <laughs> you know, we'll just, we'll, we'll practice controlling the heart process, yeah? It sounds funny, doesn't it? But then, we, it doesn't, it, we just take it to be just natural that we're the thinker. Have a much more subtle process than all the ones I just described. Yeah, it would be even at least if you didn't, when there's a shit happens and you're in the body and it, you hear the sound of it plopping and you look in and it seems like yeah that came from me. You can make it seems pretty logical. You had something to do with that. But here is a much subtler process that you take yourself to be the doer of, and and you're such a weak doer that the system can turn on you. That's how weak you are. That's how weak the premise is. You're like Frankenstein who made a monster and then the monster turns on its creator. Yeah? Because you're not its creator. You're not the thinker. That's a thought. You're not the feeler. That's a thought also. You're not the hearer. That's a thought. You're not the feeler. You're not the taster. You're not the toucher. That's a thought. There's touching, tasting, seeing, hearing, feeling. That's an apt description of what's happening. Thinking there's a seer and what's seen is an interpretation. Yeah? Hearing is an apt description of what's happening. Being, the emphasis on being the hearer, the hearer and the heard is an interpretation. Yeah? Feeling, apt description. Feeler and felt is a different story. Yes? One is what's actually happening, and the other is a mental overlay or an interpretation of what's happening. One, in a sense, has nothing to do with you, which is what's happening, and then the interpretation, the mental interpretation, has everything to do with you. The most absurd thing, you'll see some weird connection, how it has something to do with you. That's how incredible this system is. Those far-fetched, not-about-it idea comes up, it takes maybe half a second to regroup and Grab it, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, that's about me somehow. Yeah, you know. You go through your like family of origin in Earth, and now you think you're all right. Now I got to go to therapy for my fair family of origin from Mars, you know, and on and on and on and on it goes. And you actually think these are stable historical problems. They're being manifested right now. The mind is a many splendored thing. It's riffing. 
It's like so beyond Joel, John Coltrane, it can riff beyond any jazz musician you ever saw. Its highest note, like Wayne Shorter's highest, greatest little four-note riff, is doesn't even get close to the riffing the mind's doing now. Yeah? Just because it feels historical doesn't mean it's historical. Yeah? Just because it feels like I was here yesterday, that ain't, that's not a, a valid uh, evidence for, to prove the case. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so here you are. How we validate that we're here is that we were here, were there, and that we're going to be here. That's really the validation. This is a mystery. If you really would just, if you wouldn't, if the mind didn't immediately make the leap into the interpretation and you just stayed in the vicinity of conscious contact, a whole lot would be revealed, yeah? But what occurs is, we have this feeling that I was, and I will be, and therefore I am. That's how it works, yeah? It doesn't get its therefore I am from an experience or a sense right now. It gets, gets its feeling of therefore I am by therefore I was, and therefore I will be. <laughs> it goes into those mental realms to produce produce a sense of being here now. Because if you you in in the moment you were really raw here, there was no you whatsoever. There was no appearance of you. When you're surfing a wave or having sex with someone you really love or whatever it may be, walking down the park, a lot of times you're so so absent of that mental presence, and yet the mental presence will regroup and claim it and now make it an experience it had. So all it's it's so unbelievably wild that it will it will claim its own absence. <laughs> if if its own absence produces an incredible sense of relief, it will claim it and say, "I was there, and I had this incredible sense of relief." And that's the reason why there's not relief. <laughs> it's not the thing; it's the act of the claiming. It's the act of taking the attention and interest and moving it from the conscious contact into a mental interpretation of the conscious contact. And when it gets moved into the mental interpretation of the conscious contact, it's very difficult to get out of the conscious contact, that, that interpretation, because here there's a feeling of self, and then self can't get out of self. So you can't use a product of a mental process to get out of a mental process. It's the product of the mental process. See, the feeling of being you is never going to transcend what's making the feeling of being you. It's realizing you're not, you're not the product of what's making that feeling of being you. That's the freedom from the feeling of being you. It's not the feeling of being you is going to transcend what's making the feeling of being you, and then you're going to be a different feeling of being you somewhere else. It's just, you realize all the feelings you haven't, having, don't imply truly that there's a you. They just imply there's awareness and consciousness to note and recognize stimuli. Yeah? It's a big leap to think there's a you, a some kind of whatever, amorphous, you know, like a conceptual catacomb filled old ideas and beliefs, you, you know, that's that's Solid, no matter how out of control it seems and overwhelmed, but it's still solid. There's still a you in there. There isn't any you. It's a big vacuum, and life is happening. And what witnesses life's happening is witnessing it through this little camera location, but it ain't the camera that's witnessing it. It's what's looking through the camera. 
Like St. Francis says, what you're looking for is what's looking. What's looking is what you're looking for. What's looking isn't you. It's, let's say, subjectivity or awareness, whatever you want to call it, God, spirit. That's what's looking out through this camera, witnessing its own manifestation. The camera's gone wild, you know. It's, it's assumed it's causing the, the light shutter to move and the aperture to do, do, do. And, you know, it's thinking it's running the whole show. But if, when you, have you ever seen a body who you used to know and they died? You tell me that you really got the sense it was Jim when you saw the body after, quote unquote, Jim left. There was an emptiness in the body, yet the body was totally complete. If you took the eye of that dead body, it would probably work in a live body. But it ain't seeing now. It wasn't facilitating seeing because what was activating that camera isn't activating it anymore. Yeah? So the mistake, the qualities of what's looking through the camera as the camera's qualities is a big mistake. Seeing an anchor or a touchstone of relevance, of just being grounded in what's happening. Seer and seeing, chock full of story making. Tons of stories and memories and cultivated ideas of what was seen and I shouldn't have been seeing it that way. Just bastardizing just the basic raw sense of seeing and making it into what? Form of looking. Taking feeling and making it into a form of looking through feeling. Make another form of looking through hearing, hearing, tasting, touching. It's bastardized. It's sort of laid over a mental interpretation so thick that you don't even get the sense of what's moving at all. That it's awareness. That it ain't you or other. Yet all the while like anything that had any sense of what we may call love, meaning that if you seem to be in the dilemma, the solution to it would always be offered, and every moment you seemingly were in the dilemma. Yeah. So every moment, aware, every moment of your life, awareness is the context of it, consciousness, spirit is the context of it, or there wouldn't be what you call a moment in your life. So no matter how small and disturbed the mind gets, the solution is right there at all times. Always available. No requirements necessary. You can take a breath, take a pause. You don't need any, sometimes need to take anything. It's, you're, it's sort of like the, the fish, no matter how much effort, he doesn't need to ask for a glass of water. It's immersed in water, yes? He's immersed in his, his solution. I would say that's love. You know, if let's say a mind could go off the reservation and get caught up in some crazy ideas, yet love doesn't have to judge it or browbeat it, it just offers the solution at every moment it's playing around in this seeming craziness, yeah. And at any moment, like you ever read the you ever read the New Testament and there's a story about uh, the prodigal son, about a guy who uh he left a nice situation and he went out to party basically. And he got sort of caught up in the party. And, and after a while, he felt he had done being the doer of his actions and the chooser of where he was and wasn't. He started to have a feeling that he had done so many bad things, 
he didn't he couldn't go back even if he wanted to go back to his father. So he ended up in a pigsty at one point, and he was trying to fight the pigs for some corn and some cob, cobs of corn. And he was sitting there, and then they finally he just was got sick and tired of being sick and tired, and he entertained the. He said, "Okay." I surrender. I'm willing to go back to my father. And then the next, immediately, it's not even like he got up and left. The next second, he's he's on the road. His father's meeting him, puts a nice ring on his finger, puts some, some nice clothes on him, and says, hey, we're having a big feast at the house. Yeah? Now, what kept him from that solution? His father? No. You know? None of that. It was his own beliefs. It was his own judgments, his own guilt and shame rooted in being a self, that he had strayed and had done all these terrible things and he did not deserve to get relief. And therefore, that wanting to be right, he had to play it out. That's sort of what hell is. But as soon as he, as soon as he gave up that, yeah, as soon as he gave up that, as soon as he gave up this preoccupation with self, he was open and there it was, the solution. Yeah, just like that. But, I've got to work on myself. Well, if you really believe that, then do it. If you really believe, because it's going to be done according to your belief. Yeah? It is. That's how it works. So, if you really believe you need to be at meetings like this, then you better come to these meetings. Yeah? That doesn't mean it's true. It just seems to be true to you. And somehow that's how you can work things, have to work certain things out. And gets, it hits a point where what seems to be true to you doesn't matter that much anymore. And therefore, this, this higher power of your own understanding shifts into a higher power of its own understanding. And now you're in an I don't know, and it's quite revelatory, because now you find out the incredible, unbelievable spaciousness of the mind. Yeah? That this, that an eye for an eye is such a crude mental uh, prefabrication that it has no sense of whatsoever. I mean, you're free before you even ever, you're free even before you were ever convicted. You can never not be free. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you, when you start, when you get left off the biggest hook, when you get let off the biggest hook, which is your own hook about you, then you'll see the mercy and compassion that was always available. Yeah? But you and I, if you're in that mental interpretation, you're in the court of mind, you're in the court of a mental process, and you're convicted already. The book's already been thrown at you. You play the judge, you're the jury, you're the jailer, you're the inmate, you're the prosecutor, you're the defense, but you're convicted. Yeah? You can have 800 people say you, you are, you're okay, but you know you're not. You know you don't deserve, deserve to be okay. You're not willing to give up that one fucking lynch, that one little connection to you playing God. But when you get let off of that hook, then a large amount of relief floods in, and you start knowing the tree by its fruits. You start realizing, Jesus, how could I have been so quote-unquote bad if all this so quote-unquote good is coming into me? <laughs> you know what I mean? How can a sinner seem to be a saint? Because he's neither. She's neither a sinner or a saint. You're just a possibility. 
whatever has taken you over, whatever the, whatever mind, whatever aspect of mind is dominating your interest and attention, that's what you're expressing. Yeah. If it was addiction, then you were an addict. If you're if you're freed from that, now maybe you're a servant. You may be serving people. Maybe you, maybe you're being of help. Maybe you're you know looking how you can tri- contribute to life instead of take from life all the time. All of these things shift without very little to do with you. They're just mind moving like a tectonic plate, shifting a little bit. Creates a huge effect here in manifestation. Yeah. So when the mind shifts out of selfing, self-centeredness, and then just goes into centeredness, things change. Yeah? That you that you thought you were in self-centeredness <laughs> first of all, it's too archaic. It can't adapt to this this, this shift usually. It can't. It usually breaks. Either you totally contract or you have to let go because it just can't adapt to centeredness. It just can't because its whole point is self. So every, when I was a kid in self-centeredness, the only way I could see life is how it pertained to me. It's nothing I practiced, that's just how it was, yeah? This isn't about uh, reorganizing and uh, rehabilitating self. It's recognizing you're not that, yeah? All there is is selfing, just like all there is is your blood being pushed or your nerves shooting and, and synapses opening and digestion and acids are happening, yeah? And things are, and vibrational things are hitting the eardrum and then making a sound that the mind translates into language, yeah? But let's say you hear a knock on the door or, or step on the thing, your mind doesn't translate that into language. It has a name for it, but doesn't translate that. But there's other vibrations called thoughts that we translate into knowledge, into meaning. And so we ups- we're obsessed with our own making, you know? The mind is just into this whole mental world. Yeah. But there is a solution. That's what's the hard thing about it. It's like... People, it's just an invitation. You can't draft people into anything. You can't conscript them into anything. You can't conscript them into a spiritual army. It's just not going to work. You know, it's just an invitation. If the mind is ready to entertain it, see what happens. Yeah. It may not throw it away, but it'll probably come back to it years later, and it'll go, man. That guy, now I understand what that guy was saying eight years ago, yeah? Did the guy change? No. He's saying the same message, but the mind shifted, yeah? This is not another thing that you have to do. It's just an invitation. You're probably doing plenty already. (laughs) You don't need any more things to do. But this will illuminate whatever you're doing. It's not a path that, that leads to illumination. It illuminates paths, yeah? Whatever your path is, it will illuminate it. If it's recovery, it will illuminate it incredibly because we have a very deep felt, intimate connection to the problem. That's what usually happens when you get introduced to recovery. You read the book and it describes, quote unquote, you pretty damn well in 1939. (laughs) So you have an intimate sense of the problem and this just springboards off of that, that the real solution is there is no problem. Yeah, not like you think it. There isn't you that's having a problem. Yeah, 
there's a problem being recognized by a mind being used to a point that there's a you. Yeah, that's what mind does all day. This is just a bottle, but now it's my bottle. It's now appointed to me. Problem, my problem, pointed to me. Yeah. Thoughts, this is the biggest one. Thoughts, my thoughts. Every thought now is being used to point to the phantom subject. You, every freaking thought that you notice, that the mind notices, is being used as an indicator of being, there's a thinker there. Yeah? All the, all the pointing can't manufacture a self. But it leaves, it leaves it up to the mind to imagine that. So all the pointing, me, my, I, me, my, I, me, my, then the mind makes this logical assumption, well, if there was an action, there must be a doer, bing, you. If there was something heard, there must be a hearer, bing, you. Yes? <laughs> and that, once that's in place, it just reinforces it all day. Don't you see it? How many thoughts do you need to navigate a day? Not 70,000. That's what they say you may have every day. 70,000 thoughts to make it through one day? One Wednesday? I don't think I've ever had a Wednesday that needed 70,000 thoughts to navigate it through. I really don't. Even if I got up at 5 in the morning and stayed up till 4 in the next morning, I still probably didn't, maybe the most, like 500 thoughts. Yeah. Because maybe I have to get four meals or five meals and figure out what, where's those pans or whatever, you know. But no way, no near 70,000. What are the 69,500 other thoughts doing? What? Every one of them held as mine or about me are doing a really good job allowing them. It's like a spark plug, you know, when they have the, they have the wires and the spark plug and there's a, there's a, an arc that st- jumps to start the car. Well, here's selfing. There's the arc. There's the thoughts. They're about me. Yeah? They're the pointer. The mind is the energy that makes the, the spark and starts up selfing. Now you start living as if you're a self. Yeah? Every day, oh, so it claims everything that's happening and everything's being used to point to you and it can't only point, but the mind does the rest. It sees the pointer and says, there must be something it's pointing to. These thoughts can't be about nothing. They must be about something. How about a someone? Yeah, me. Yeah. So it makes the leap. And after a while, right, it's a habit, isn't it? It's such a habit, we start way beyond it. We're not even aware of it anymore. We're like five steps down the road. So we're being totally overwhelmed by these avalanches of thoughts. And what the best thing we can do is trying to find like a, like a motorized shovel. Yeah, to get us out of it. Instead of realizing there's a solution, you know, right from where the problem started. That's what a pause is. You ever sense that in recovery? You're running around or something, you're at a meeting and your mind is boiling over something and then suddenly something shifts and you can sense it in the air. It's not you, it's your mind. It's not the air, it's the mind. And then there's a pause and it's really incredible. It's like, Usually really loud in some way, you know. Silence can be incredibly loud. So it's, and then everything has lost all meaning. It's like a total, like if you had a, a coach and you were running like laps and you just went, had the whistle and everything would stop. It's like that. But it is, it's just, everything stops. All the meaning giving, all the incredible importance of everything. And yet, what happens is we usually snap out of that, which we think is 
like being in a daze, and then we snap into action, and this is really the unconsciousness. That was consciousness. The pause is consciousness. We want to snap out of that and get back into action. That's the unconsciousness. We're scared shit of the imitation of consciousness. We want to get through that pause as quickly as possible to get back into action, to thinking, into feeling, into the opinionating, into ruminating, into speculating. Yeah. See it. See the love that the mind has for what it's making. Then you may be able to root. See, that's the thing for me. It was about self can't get out of self. That's the tricky one. So you have a noble desire for freedom, but you try to get freedom as self. Or if you identify the self, your, all your desire to get freedom will be to get freedom as self, which isn't freedom. It's another form of bondage. So it's tricky. So even your most noble feelings have been co-opted. So self can't get out of self. So what's one to do? If I go and study about self for three years, how, and I'm looking to try to get out of self, that could be construed as obsession with self. Can okay? I'm totally so emerged into trying to get out of self, I'm more in self than ever. So self can't get out of self. All right, so we're doing another way. Are you a self? Who knows? There you go. Entertain the possibility you may not be that. It's not like, oh, I'm going to give you one out of a million possibilities to entertain that you are something. I'm giving you only one possibility that you're not something. I'm not giving you millions of possibilities that you're not all these somethings. Just one something that you're not. Just one possibility repeated over and over and over again. Yeah, Not a thousand possibilities of how self can get better and get higher and more loving. There's thousands of those. One possibility that you're not a self. <laughs> That's it. And just hop on it and repeat it, just like all the bullshits repeated quite a lot. Try to use the poison as an antidote and just keep repeating the same Imitation in thousands of different ways, but really basically it's just distilled into, hey, I'm not that. Yeah. I'm not all of that, and that's that. Yeah. It's not like, okay, now that you're, you're, you're not that, let's see what you are. That's that again. Yeah? No, just stay in the pause. Hey, I'm not, it may not be the thinker of these thoughts. So then, maybe if it catches in your mind, the next time this whole snowstorm of thoughts go, thoughts go by, they will, you'll travel lighter through them. It won't be like, my, 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 it'll be my, 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 pause, couple of thoughts, just thoughts, my, 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 more pause, couple more thoughts, my, my, pause, thoughts. and you know what? Just the, the little break in the mental snowstorm, I swear to God, will have a huge impact on mine. It wakes up. It starts waking up out of its own delusion. Yes. And after a while, then you'll have long stretches where there'll just be thoughts, and it'll be sort of like there won't be this huge rush to get where, so what was a raging river will turn into like a little creek. You won't have so many thoughts anymore. There won't be so many generating. Yeah? They'll just go meandering down, and you see them. Oh, yeah. You'll see them, and the sense of oldness, they just, it's like the same fucking. Thought over and over and over again, you know, and then moves on, moves on, moves on, and after a period of time, you realize, hey, I'm traveling. You don't even realize it. You know, that would be that would be like still secondhand. You just you are the relief from that. You really are. You are the relief from it. Yeah, that's what you're entertaining now, and that's what your attention is, is interested in. Not all the yapping and gibberish, but the sense of freedom from that. Yeah. 
it has a huge. I mean, if if you if your mind is ready to appreciate it, there'll be it'll never end appreciating it. If it's ready to start appreciating it, that appreciation will never end. Once it's like Ramana Maharshi, this great master says, your head is already in the tiger's mouth. So once there's a sense of appreciating this possibility, what you're going to continue to appreciate will never end. It's the imminence of all possibilities. Yeah, it's the it's the expanse of everything that seems miniature. It's the expanse behind all that. It's the expanse of large, large, large things. It's the expanse behind that. Yeah. So when the mind gets a taste of its own nature, then it's found the right quote unquote partner for the love. Yeah. Because that love isn't at things like this, that love extends, yeah? It just doesn't go to two things and try, it just extends out, yeah? The mind is like a very, it's like a large, it's just spacious and clear, you know? Very illuminated, clear and spacious. And then that pause now becomes the living basis of your day, not a, a you know, a grace-filled gift of a, of a moment at, in, a, in a bunch of crazy moments, but actually the basis of your day is, is echoed behind, is, it's just echoes like of the pause. The pause is just the dominant context. Yeah. So you get, you lose interest in the idea of being a self. You can't lose interest. There's tons of interest. There's no, there's no quantity to it, is there? Or attention. So you don't lose interest. You lose interest in the thing. Yeah? So that thing, that mental thing called a feeling or, or a thought of being a self, the mind loses interest in it, and then it gains interest in other things. And sometimes it gains interest in no thing. Yeah? Spaciousness, things that can't be quantified or pictured or or uh, felt, but sensed and intimated, yeah? The mind actually becomes free-range in a way. It leaves this pasture and this defined little ranch of thingness, and it now starts chewing the cut of no-thing, so to speak, you know? It starts grazing in no-thingness, yeah? Like whatever you want to call it, the spiritual realm or what you can't see, but now that doesn't mean you're not accessing it. You're in it. Yeah, you're in that which is can't, which can't be seen. You are that which can't be seen. So other senses or another sense gets strong, strengthened. Not your five gates, and not the mental sense of mind seeing things, but another aspect of being able to sense or intimate the everlasting. You know, the always so, the sense of presence. Atmospheric, so to speak, you know? You know, sometimes when you walk into a beautiful old building, there's an atmosphere to it, like this church or somewhere, or you go to a setting like a, a canyon with, uh, you know, with giant sequoias overlooking it. It's very atmospheric. You sense a presence there, yeah? Silence or whatever. Something that seems to have never have been disturbed, yeah? And you sense it. It's only a mere reflection of your own mind, or you wouldn't even recognize it. You are that, which you're sensing in that canyon or in that beach. You are that. You are all of that. Everything that's ever been sensed and intimated, you are the source of all that. Yeah. 
Right? We're at the you know, like the seeming uh, segue between non-manifest and manifest, between between like they would say noumenon and phenomena, or you know, we're 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 in a sense uh, we're like that interface. So the mind is driven, and the body is built to sense things. And to take what seems to be so to be so, and what are, what is appearing to be solid, and separation and difference and dualism and all like that gets formed and becomes the working program for here. But that same mind, like they say in Buddhism, the ordinary mind and the enlightened mind are the same mind. So that aspect of the quote unquote ordinary mind doing what it's doing here doesn't. Uh, define that there's no other mind. It's just an aspect of mind, yeah? Like Jesus would point to it by saying, hey, for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, he was talking about, all right, for the ordinary mind you may miss this, but the same mind is enlightened, they're the ones who have the eyes and ears to hear, yeah? The eyes and ears just facilitate. They're not defining what's moving through, they're facilitating it. So there's the double eyes that facilitate seeing things and objects, and then there's a single eye that says if you if that's open, your body will be full of light. So you'll be quite you will be a light body in a sense. Yeah, you won't be a body, but your body actually will be light. You will be of that essence of no thingness. Man, if you're bored here, I think that's a great little. Possibility to start entertaining. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're never going to get bored trucking around up in there. I mean, it's the the flavor. You may think you know something, and then a download will come, and it will put a tail on like on the snake <laughs> you've never seen before. Then the next time, put some legs on it. It just it can just add and subtract in unbelievable ways. Your mental logic could never could never follow the artistic nature of mind, you know. It's just like you humbly give up and surrender. So yeah, the idea of affirming and then if the mind is preoccupied with all those energetic scarrings that seem to be held in the body, then there's great body work you can do and shamanistic healing. Don't go through the head, go through the body. Yeah, the body will speak through someone's hands, you know, or the space will be held, and then the body, whatever's holding that contraction, will let go. It doesn't need the mediator to be up here. You can sort of let this sur- sur- go around this, go around the thinking mind, and go right to another aspect of mind, and those 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 knots can be let go of. Yeah which just facilitates the manifestation to travel later. It doesn't change the fact of what you are, it just changes how what you are manifests here, how it appears to be here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, all the thoughts ensue from one thought, which is you're the thinker. If you want relief from thoughts, get relief from the one thought. It It has influence on all the other thoughts, because every other thought is held 
from the from the definition of that first thought, which is I'm the thinker of these. Yeah, it defines your relationship and makes up a relationship between you and thoughts, as you have something to do with it. Therefore, you're bond you're bonded to it. You're bonded to that system. If it's spilling out 70,000 thoughts a day, who's going to judge which ones are good and bad? <laughs> who's going to say, I got to get rid of these and got to keep, you know, cultivate more of the others? You know, you'd be fucking busy as hell. <laughs> and then a day or two later, you realize you picked the wrong ones. Because you think you'd, you'd suffer the incredible crisis of unintended, unintended consequences <laughs> when you started trying to control thought. <laughs> That's just to lose interest in it. I'm serious. <laughs> you don't know what you're playing with. <laughs> you think it's bad now? Have you ever seen it? You ever seen people in recovery bitching about how bad it is? And then they entertain a possibility. I need relief. It's getting really bad. And they drink. And then the fucking... The dogs are let out. <laughs> now the mental anguish they're in is just so far beyond what they could have imagined. What, oh, I know, I know it'll get bad if I do this, but no, you had no idea how fucking intricately bad it can get. <laughs> There's nothing like living it, maybe nothing. You can read all about the mental anguish or pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. It doesn't do a lick of justice to it unless you put your little subjective take in it. <laughs> then it's like hell. <laughs> So, I leave the thoughts be. <laughs> Just question, are you the thinker? <laughs> if you're not, you'll lose interest in them. And it's your interest. It's, the thoughts aren't, it's, they're not like comets colliding with your planet. <laughs> you're sucking them in with the gravity of the mind. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're just thoughts going, the system's just doing what it does. We suck them in and making them, oh, my thoughts are driving me crazy. I can't, they're fucking, they're out to get me. You know, this, how do they zero in on you? You had to make yourself a big fucking target. It's all about me. <laughs> If you lost interest in that, the thoughts would just go. They'd come like they came, and they'd go like they go. From whence, I have, nowhere they, I have no idea where they came. I have no idea where they went. So maybe I actually have no idea when they are even here. <laughs> I can't tell where they were or where they're going, so maybe I have no idea what's happening now. Maybe, but what happens when the hell is yours? It's almost like we freeze them, and we turn them into an orbit. You know, and some have been like they're like moons to us. They're like thoughts that, that were had when we were four years old, and they come back five years old, seven years old. They're like we're like we're like a planet with thirty-eight moons, all orbiting and, and sucking out light. You know, we can't tell the sun from anything because all the moons are reflecting the light of all lights, and we're just oh, it's, we're just totally, it's insane. <laughs> the moons are out to get me <laughs> they have no opinion they're only being moved and driven and attracted by energy in a sense yeah. your if your interest in attention is sucking them in yeah, you just, and then but the problem is, once you suck them in you can't seem to get them out yeah? have you noticed that? when you've had, let's say, something bothered you in your life or 
let's say something scared you, like you, uh, you know, you got rejected at a party when you were eight or something, yeah? So uh, now your solution is never to go to another party. <laughs> it's sort of like something happened that was a little bit threatening. And instead of just pulling the one window down temporarily, everything goes down like a lead shield. <laughs> and after a while, a number of them, you're just so contracted into yourself. It's like, geez, there's no getting out. You can do a shot of coke and it does it only pulls you out for five minutes. I mean, you've got to jump off bridges, bungee jump, hang glide. You've got to do such extreme shit to try to get a pulse. <laughs> it's like, man, Jesus. You have a heart attack. You got your own little pants and bring me back to life. <laughs> Shit. There is a solution, seriously. There is. The solution is there is no problem. That's the solution. Once it's seen as there is no problem, there's no solution. Because there's no need for it. There's only a need when there seems to be a problem. When you realize it's an imaginary problem, then there's no need for a solution. So the solution has no weight anymore, and there's real freedom. That's the real freedom. It's not a, it's not a freedom that came from a problem being solved. That would be a conditional freedom. It's a, it's a freedom that comes from there was no problem to begin with. That's, that's a lasting state. That has reliability. That has a place to rest. Yeah? If it's a, if it's a problem that had to be solved, that's way too much. The solution is that you realize the problem is imaginary. It doesn't mean everything gets great. It could. It doesn't mean that. It just probably means everything will get a little lighter, and then that light, just like everything, will progress and make things will get lighter and lighter, and you'll travel lighter and lighter, and uh, you'll probably be used to be of service quite a lot. In some way or another. Because you'll have a lot of light that's available to be out there. Yeah? You're not lacking light anymore. It's like the knowledge of where the bathroom is can actually rub off on others. So they're not, they can suspend having to buy maps to find where the bathroom is in the dark. If they sit with someone that knows there's a bathroom, even though it seems to be dark, but has a total certainty, that rubs off because it's all mind. Yeah. It's not you and me, it's just mind. That's what happens in satsang. You know, like in the old thing they'd say with saints, they say, well, if you want to be a saint, hang out with saints. If you want to be a sinner, hang out with sinners, you know? Satsang is the association with truth. So we sit here on AA as tradition too. A loving God expresses itself through our group conscience. So you take us, quote-unquote, individually, and we have many faults, you know? We could be actually severe assholes, who knows? You know, all of us. Together. But together, we produce a sweet bouquet because there's a loving God expressing itself through us, just like there is all there is expressing itself through this camera. Yeah? Even though it appears millions and millions and millions of different ways, it's undiffused light and then diffused light. It's all light. 
It's just the appearance seems to be multitude and myriad, yeah? But in fact, if brought back to it, it's, un- it's undifferentiated light. Undifferentiated light moving through this, this little kaleidoscope, makes differentiation. Now things appear. Yeah? It's all energy, but now they appear in different forms. Yeah, yeah. But yet, what happens? Energy can't be created nor destroyed, so when the form dissipates or erodes, which it does here, what happens? It's just the energy never gets goes anywhere. Manifestation. Manifestation, yes. On and on and on and on and on and on. When the manifestation occurs and you take yourself to be this, you're inherently concerned immediately about what? You're going to end. Yeah? Society in America is pretty good at forgetting death, you know, by consuming and staying busy and a lot of plastic surgery and everyone's trying to... Some people, they should get to the point where they shouldn't be wearing, like, mini dresses when they're 70, you know? They'd probably be good. Or a man, you know, when he's <laughs> dyed his hair so many times. It looks pretty weird, you know? Just let the gray happen. It's, you know, it's just the way things go here. But there's this drive, yeah? It's just less... But it's that... It's always there, the, the impermanence of this place, Yeah? And the only thing you're trying to hold on to is that you're permanent, but you know strongly that that's not true. <laughs> you have a strong suspicion that that's not so. So there's always this angst. And we try to get into all these other things that we think provoke angst, but that's what the real angst is. Is that you never began, and therefore, well, in a sense, you never began, therefore you don't have to worry about ending. But in this dream, you think you began, and you're going to end. Yeah. Can you imagine you're sitting there, you've been alive 80 years, and then you've been a a devotee to your thought system, and then just before you pass away, the mind says, you forgot something. (laughs) Oh, shit. The last thought that you had. I didn't, I never, I... I really wasn't good. <laughs> what a, what a, after all the millions of notes, what a note to end on. Jesus Christ, you're sure to come back then. <laughs> you got to be questioned, you know. If they're not your thoughts, you'll be able to hold them loosely. You really will. And you'll see some of them as totally, truly insane. And you'll see them as some of them as totally ludicrous. And you'll see some as tons of fluff. And you'll see some that have value where they tell you, hey, I think you left your keys in the third drawer, you know? And stuff like that. So that's it. Eh? Yes? No questions? No. Yeah, the same energy that I've been wasting. Wait a minute. What happened? I said no questions, no, and then suddenly. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. You. What's happening? Wow, it's the same energy, you know. They kind of, I mean, I'm so scared of non-existence that just keep making us up, you know. And, you know, I, and I, I did, you know. I, I mean, the hoax is so big; everybody's falling for it. Ninety-nine point. Ninety-nine percent of the planet people on this planet, but I think it's a fear of non-existence. Because I mean, if you go into that nothingness, you're afraid to die. I mean, I'm, I'm afraid I'll die if I go 
But the more I like it, you know, the cooler it is. You know, wanting it, just wanting it. Well, it may be opposite, you know. You may be the minds of, of afraid of life, really. This is death. Yeah, obviously. So we're, we're like, I used to say we're in a death cult, remember? In the old days of the meetings, we have like, we have vertical coffins with like, you know, wheels on them. Wheeling around, so afraid of dying. <laughs> but we're really afraid of life, because I would say life is truly non-existent. <laughs> in a way, you know, it's true, isn't it? And then if you notice, people that are really afraid of dying, they're not really living. If you were really living, you probably wouldn't, after a while, you wouldn't be afraid of dying, because you would see there's no difference in a sense, you know? It's just. But if you're, if you're really afraid of dying, you're probably not living. If you were really living, you probably wouldn't be afraid of dying. That's just my vague little opinion. Yeah. Because the really living is the is where it's revealed what's never gonna die. Yeah. If you're not here, then you're gonna be scared shit of dying probably. Truly. Yeah? Because you'll feel like you didn't have enough time to get what you wanted done and all like this. But I've noticed people who have and I noticed this one lady really had a big impression on me. She was dying from bone cancer, you know, in Australia. And something had happened, her mind had opened up. So my friend, I was doing some talks there, my friend took me over to see her. And she was bedridden, you know, she was in this bed. And, but the, luckily her husband was pretty well off, they had a nice house, she was looking over this beautiful garden. And uh, she had no fear of dying, but she was totally living, yet she was bedridden, you know. She had no freedom of motion too much, she had to be picked up and taken, carried around. Yet she, she was she was alive wire, <laughs> you know. When he saw her, her mind was awake. Yeah. So, just goes to show you. And uh, she did pass away not that far, not soon after. But you know, it was just a great example of freedom. Yeah. Right now.